I'm Ava Hartling. Welcome to the Brand is Female podcast. Every week, I speak with women changemakers and founders who are redefining the rules of female leadership. This season of our podcast is brought to you by TD Women in Enterprise. TD helps women in business achieve success and growth through their educational workshops, financing, and mentorship. Visit thebrandiesfemale.com slash podcast and follow the link to find out how TD can help. My guest this week is Lauren Barker, CEO of Uresta, a bladder support solution to stop urinary leaks. After graduating from the Ivy School of Business, Lauren started her career in investment banking, where she invested in private businesses throughout North America. Lauren's career then brought her to a leading Canadian technology startup in business operations. She joined Uresta as CFO in 2020 and was subsequently promoted to CEO following the retirement of former Uresta CEO, Carol Chapman. Lauren is passionate about destigmatizing stress urinary incontinence, or SUI, educating women about SUI not being a condition experienced by older women only, and empowering women to live their lives leak-free. Here is our conversation. Lauren, it's such a pleasure having you on The Brennis Female today. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Uh, I usually start these conversations the same way if you've listened to an episode before, and I like to ask guests to go back in time a little bit. So if we rewind in your journey, what did you think you'd be doing later in life when you were just a young girl growing up? Um, It's a good question. I think I definitely didn't necessarily see this path for myself. Um, I grew up in Winnipeg and and I come from actually probably a family more of of doctors and kind of in the helping profession. My mom's a therapist, my dad's a doctor, and I think probably like most kids, I I looked at what my parents um what my parents did and and I think you know going into business, I think Winnipeg does have a bit of a business community, nothing like, you know, Toronto. Um, so I think for me, I just kind of looked around and saw what I, I saw. And so I kind of think I just assumed that's the path that I would take mm-hmm. as well. Um, it is funny because Uresta is a, is a healthcare company, Yeah, uh, but I did start to kind of, I think, show signs where now looking back, it's not overly surprising, but, um, the route I've taken has definitely not been what I, I initially had, had expected as a little girl. And we'll, I'm, I, I want to hear about your business, excited mm-hmm. to talk about your, your journey launching it. Uh, but you obviously did uh, other things before becoming an entrepreneur. So I'd love to know what that first stage of your career was. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we can talk about what made you take that plunge. Sure. Um, well, maybe kind of on that note before. Um, so I grew up in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And when it came time to select university, I was a little bit on the fence about what I wanted to do. I figured I would go into science and maybe start thinking about um, being a doctor. My uh, university advisor had um, outlined Western University and their business program as being one of the better ones in the country. But what was really interesting about their program is that you can do whatever you want for your first two years of university. And then it's your last two years that you would go into their business program. So that kind of gave me the opportunity to experiment, I guess, Mm-hmm. And so I applied initially to sciences, but within my first semester of university, I, I went into economics. And then from there, I think I just really followed 
the classes that I did well in and the classes that I enjoyed the most. And it tended to be the economics or the more analytical or the finance classes. And then I just really started to talk to people um, in that in the finance industry and, and talk to different people that were in Toronto and, and alumni of, of Western. And what I found was um, I actually... Uh, ended up working or starting my career at TD uh, in their mm-hmm. investment banking department. And that would have been in 2014. So when okay. I remember TD was one of the few Canadian banks that actually made a really strong interest in women. Um, mm-hmm. So they actually had a sponsored kind of a women's only event at uh, the Western's business school, Ivy. And it was through that that I made connections and really wanted to work there. Um, So I ended up getting my first job in investment banking at TD. And I think for me, it was a lot of just, that's the courses I was excelling at and what I liked. And so I thought I might as well continue that path. Mm -hmm. I went and worked at TD. I was there for two years in their investment banking uh, group. And then I moved on to a private equity firm called Torquest, uh, which Mm -hmm made large private investments or controlling investments in in private companies. And often you would get to know the management team of that company. And a lot of them had started that company, you know, when they were young from scratch or Mm -hmm. with a family member. And I think, you know, each company that we got to meet and team, you know, they had such an inspiring story And, um, I think that really kind of attracted me to the idea of being an entrepreneur myself Mm -hmm. was, was Mm -hmm. getting to meet those, those different people. And I think too, in investment banking, you, you get to meet a lot of, um, CEOs and, and hear their, their story. And I think for me, that was, that's what kind of led me to think about, uh, maybe not being an investor, but actually being the one starting the business. That's so interesting. Are there any individuals in particular that stick out as role models or maybe people who inspired you more than others? Um, I think there was a lot of different ones. I think uh, there was a really cool company that probably you would know today, uh, Spin Master. So if you've ever heard of Paw Patrol, um, funny enough, they were two or three university um, graduates from Western that started with, with one product that they had taken, um, that they had brought to Canada, I think from Israel. And it went from this one product to the company. I think we all know today. Right. And they've had such success. And I think I got to work on their initial public offering. So that was really cool to hear their whole story. It was also interesting. I, in high school, I had worked uh, as a sales associate at Aritzia and then okay. when I was at TD, I actually worked on their initial public offering. So it was very full oh, circle man. for me. Yeah. Uh, but I think kind Love of that. hearing like those, like, you know, from the early days, um, I think it's just super, super cool. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about that. When the idea finally, you know, kind of took place, gelled for you to start your own business. Mm-hmm. And I do want uh, you to explain what Uresta is sure. to our listeners and where did the idea come from? So I actually didn't invent Uresta. So the story behind Uresta is actually invented and founded by a physician, a urogynecologist in Halifax. Mm-hmm. Um, so he had invented the product. Uh, he's a wonderful man. Um, obviously recognized the need for a product like Uresta, which I can talk about 
a little bit later mm-hmm. on, but he um, invented it. And I think, you know, n- didn't necessarily have the time or the resources to take it and really build it into a business. When I was at TorQuest, uh, the private equity firm I was at, I actually got connected with a group of women who were from out east in Canada and they had heard about the product. Some of them were actually using it and it had honestly changed their lives. Mm. And they, um, all these women I would say were in their 60s, successful in their own right, a mix of um, entrepreneurs, business women, lawyers. And I think that they saw a lot of potential in this business. And so they were starting to think through like how to build a business around that potentially raise money. And it was a bit of a long story, but I ended up getting connected with these women and I thought it was a really, really interesting product. And I was really intrigued by it because and again, I'll talk a little bit about it, but it's a really mm-hmm. big market Uh, It's a really big need that's really been underserved by other solutions. And Mm -hmm. it's really, you know, bladder leakage is a quality of life issue for women. And I was just amazed at how simple the product was and how much of an improvement it offered women. Mm -hmm. So I initially started helping these women kind of think through how to raise money or, or just helping them with their investments and their fundraising strategy. And I think the more I got involved and I was honestly just doing this out of pure passion. Like it wasn't, Mm -hmm. I wasn't making any money. It was all just, um, it was free on the side. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just, the more and more I got involved and the more that I learned about the product and understand the condition, I think I started to build sort of a vision for what I thought mm-hmm. the business could be. And at this point, it was really just a product. Mm-hmm. It didn't have any, there wasn't really a company behind it. It was really just truly, you know, an IP, the IP or the technology of the product. And so um, I guess slowly after really making a connection with these women, um, I guess I, I convinced them to kind of take a bet on me and let me run with the, run with my idea. And uh they said yes, and it's been a year and a half, and and it's gone extremely well. Mm, so congratulations! That's kind of how I got got involved in it. Mm, yeah. That's great. So tell me what Uresta is and how it works exactly. So Uresta is a solution for bladder leakage in women that comes with coughing, sneezing, laughing, or jumping. So basically, anything that puts pressure in the bladder. And I'm sure you've heard of this because it is quite common. So one in three women after the age of 30 experience Mm -hmm. this type of bladder leakage. And it's formally known in the medical community as stress urinary incontinence. And it doesn't mean you're mentally stressed. It means Mm -hmm. the muscles that basically are supporting your bladder aren't strong enough. And so to kind of explain how uresta works, you have to understand what's kind of going on in the body. So what I always say to women is if your bladder was a balloon and so say Mm -hmm. your, it was filled up with air or your urine, your hand, let's say is keeping that balloon closed by holding that stem very firmly. That stem in this case would be your urethra, how urine exits the body. When your muscles that keep the the uh, urethra closed or the balloon stem closed aren't strong enough. And that can happen due to childbirth. It happens as women get older. It Every time you put pressure on the top of that balloon, you'll see some urine leak out. Now, mm-hmm. how uresta works is it actually inserts into the vagina 
And the shape of it actually presses up against that muscle that's ultimately supporting the urethra. So when you do cough or sneeze or jump, it doesn't let urine escape out, mm. but it's not enough to actually prevent you from urinating normally. From, okay, right. So mm-hmm. I always say it's kind of like an ankle brace, but for your bladder. Yep. And it's, <laughs> like just, it's just providing extra support. And right. what's great about it is it actually stops the leaks from happening entirely. So majority of women today are either using leak-proof underwear or pads. But this actually stops it from happening. So it's a much more comfortable solution. You don't have to deal with odor or feeling damp, right? And more, you know, friendlier for the environment as well. Oh, absolutely. For sure. Mm, Thank you. Mm -hmm. And was it what you expected? I mean, you've always been up to that point on the other side uh, as, as an investment banker, working very closely with CEOs and founders, but sometimes the reality of ourselves being in the shoes of the, of the business leader Mm -hmm. can be a different story. So was the first year what you expected? Uh, Probably not. I mean, I think every day is, Honestly, every day is different, which is kind of interesting. It definitely keeps you on your toes. Um, it's It can be very unpredictable at times. I think, you know, going from having, you know, being very much in the corporate world to honestly at times as an entrepreneur wearing every single hat mm-hmm. in, in the business, right? Whether it's, you know, this past weekend running, you know, a booth at a marathon educating women on what Uresta is, you know, being at trade shows to raising money to, you know, doing these sorts of things. Like it's your every day is, is honestly different. So um, I expected it would come with its challenges and it certainly has, but uh, Mm -hmm. it's, it's definitely been interesting. This season of The Brand is Female is made possible with the support of TD Women in Enterprise, and they're about confidently building you. As a woman entrepreneur myself, I know I need all the support I can get. It takes sound advice plus guidance to the right connections, tools, and resources. What's great about TD services for women in business is their collaborative approach. TD can facilitate and connect you to workshops, coaching, and mentorship, and they engage other like-minded business leaders in an authentic way so we can share experiences and learn from each other. TD Women in Enterprise has banking specialists who are able to be proactive in the advice and guidance they give to women in business. Was there a moment where you felt like maybe, you know, what did I sign up for? This is not going to work. And you you also started this business during the pandemic, um, which, you know, probably, I don't know if this was, if, if the process had started pre-COVID and then the pandemic happened and you kept going, or if this was, you know, intentional and you knew what the timing was, but wondering if there was a moment where you kind of uh, maybe challenged a decision you had made. I think... Um For me, I think there's a lot of stuff, especially early on, where I think we had to, you know, you don't have, especially coming from an investment banking or private equity world where you do usually have a lot of data or a lot of facts that will inform your decisions. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of times where you're just kind of going off of gut and really hoping it's going to work out. And there's definitely been times where we've spent money on something and been really excited and thought it was going to work from a marketing perspective and it didn't. But -hmm. I think for us, it's, um, I think, you know, early on really trying to figure out, 
the right marketing message was, um, you know, at times very challenging and you kind of second guessing if you, you have the right, right strategy. But when things started to click, it really started to click for us. Mm, That's amazing. But those early days are, are definitely, definitely test your patience and your confidence. What's the biggest lesson you learned in, in those first 12 months? You know, I think for us, it's really been focused. Like I think you can spread yourself thin very, very quickly. And uh, we're a very small team. We're really internally a team of three. Um, we have, we work with a lot of freelancers and, and third party companies. Um, but for us internally, I think, you know, there's times where you really want to do it all. But if you do try to do it all, you become kind of a master of none. So I mm -hmm. think by really focusing and not biting off more than we can chew, I think has been actually in a lot of ways uh, a driver of our of our success. Because I think early mm -hmm. on too, and and some of the initial conversations with with other people um, that were involved in the business, I think you know this is a product that that can help a lot of women. But yeah. we really needed to focus on one location, one type of woman. And I think by focusing, it's actually really helped us to do really well. Is there, or are there lessons from, um, you know, your background as an investment banker that you found extremely helpful when you became uh, an entrepreneur yourself? I think, uh, discipline for sure. I think the days can be difficult and hard, but I, I definitely think discipline, I think, We're also, and I say we, uh, my business partner comes from a, a similar background to me. He's our chief operating officer. Our, I'm our CEO. But I think both of us are very aware of the costs and the numbers. And when you have limited resources like, you know, investment money, for us, I think we're very cautious about how we spend every single dollar mm -hmm. as if it was our own money. So I think we're very aware of our cash, our cash burn and how we spend that money. So I think that's mm -hmm. definitely been, and, and I think also being in that world has also given us a lot of connections too. Mm -hmm. And a lot of right. people that have been interested in investing in the business, mm -hmm. um, or even being like advisors or connecting us to the right people that have opened up some interesting doors for us. Mm. That makes perfect sense. Mm -hmm. I want to know what your definition of leadership is. And now that you are a CEO, uh, you know, what does become a leader look like for you and what does it feel like? Interesting. I think because we work so collaboratively, I think that's something that will change over time. I think, you know, some of the things, like I said, we're a team of three, right? So mm -hmm it's not the same leadership that you would see as a team of, of 20 or 50. I think the right. most important thing for me, especially at this stage of a company is trusting the people that you've, you know, you've hired and that you're, you're working with and that you've picked to be your teammates. Because like I said, like there's limited time in a day and limited, uh, you know, limited people on the team. So one of the things that we've tried to really do is, very rarely will all three of us be, you know, on a call or mm -hmm. two of us, right? So making sure like, you know, really dividing and conquering mm -hmm. uh, has been honestly critical for us at this stage and really trusting each other has been, has been critical. It's, it's impossible to micromanage. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so I think trusting your, trusting your team and, and making sure you identify kind of where your weaknesses are and, and find people that can fill those gaps and people that are complementary, and then empower them to, to run with what they've, they've actually been delegated. Mm. What does growth look like for you? And by growth, I mean as much on the personal side as an entrepreneur on your journey, but feel free to answer for your business as well. Uh, well, I'd say as an entrepreneur, I think I try to talk to as many people as I can um, and just have an open mind. At the same time, everyone has an opinion on on how you should run your business or mm-hmm. you know what you're doing wrong. I think you do have mm-hmm. to figure out when to trust yourself and trust your gut. Yeah. Um, but I'm really open to feedback, and you know, I came from a background that is primarily finance based. Uh, one of the biggest probably gaps that I've had to fill has been probably on the marketing side. Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's not a background that I come from, but I've been really open to listening to a lot of people's opinions. Mm -hmm. I've been read books. I've listened to podcasts to get, you Mm -hmm. know, as smart as possible. So I think just, I think being really open to where you know, hearing maybe where your flaws are or just, or just open Mm -hmm. to other people's opinions. And then I think growth is a business, you know, we're a small team. I think we're very focused today on Canada, which is where we're based and, and, um, we're an over the counter product in Canada, but we are a prescription based product in the U S. So we're in the process Mm -hmm. of moving over the counter in Canada or in the U S. And once we do so, I think we will move kind of all the things that we're doing today in Canada and start doing it in the U.S. And then I think beyond that, it will be continuing to tackle new geographies. You've mentioned um, kind of the network around you, the people you're able to ask for expertise, even the people who inspired you when you were starting the business. What's your advice to young business owners, startup founders in creating that network? Because I, I think often Uh, new entrepreneurs don't know where to start if they come from a different background or we're doing something completely different? I think the biggest resource I think that we all have access to is is probably LinkedIn. So I -hmm. think there's a couple different things. I think one alumni base from Western and the Ivy Business School that I went to has been great. Um, They actually have an entrepreneurial department where they're supporting businesses like ours. So they've been great and they will connect. They will connect us. I think it's also my past jobs and the connections that I made through those jobs. And -hmm. then I think if there's interesting people, like if there's, you know, for example, a woman, there's a few female owned startups in Toronto that have had, uh, I wouldn't say they have competing products, but they have a similar target audience. So we've Mm -hmm. collaborated and we'll, you know, bounce ideas off of each other. I just reach out to people and I think nine times out of 10 people are, are willing to talk to you and, and have a conversation. And some of those conversations have gone from one conversation to 10 conversations to people that might eventually be on our board. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think LinkedIn is, is great. And that's actually something I wanted to ask you. So you brought up your board and and that was going to be my next question. What did you look at when you were building that board and reaching out to specific individuals? How did you go about, you know, the kind of expertise you wanted to bring in and how did you select the people you chose? 
So that's actually probably something that's still sort of evolving today. A lot of our board right now is based on um, pretty much people who've invested in the business today. Mm -hmm. But I think there's some areas that we want to add to in terms of capabilities. And I think the biggest thing I think is having, I think we have a lot of regulatory support on our board right now, medical expertise, you know, the founding physicians on our board, he's also our Mm -hmm. chief medical officer. So he's instrumental to have around for customer care, for regulatory, for future product development. Um, You know, we have a couple of lawyers that have been great in terms of all the regulatory um, items and IP and patents and then, you know, manufacturing support as well. But I think kind of one gap or area that we're looking to probably expand is is marketing. And, and it's such a big cost for us. Mm-hmm. And I think the business has become more of a direct-to-consumer company. And in the past, there had been talks about it being maybe more direct selling to physicians who then recommend it to their, their patients. But we're more focused on a direct-to-consumer strategy. And with that, it's obviously marketing is is very important. So I think that's a gap mm-hmm. that we're looking to fill. And I think, you know, there's a few people that I've talked to that have had very interesting backgrounds. And I think it just, usually I try to, you know, there's a few people that I've had ongoing conversations with that have been helpful. And based on how they're helping and the time that they've been willing to spend with me, I think then we'd, we'd think about asking them to, to join the board. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good approach. Um, you obviously have a business in a category that's very niche, dedicated to women and, and generally more mature women, although I'm sure you know there's a, a number of health issues that can cause women to need your product. And do you find that this is a category where there's still a lot of room to grow? Because then recently on the show, I had somebody who was an aging expert, women aging expert. And it was very interesting to hear her talk about her approach in working with companies specifically in kind of addressing health needs around women who are more mature and have often, you know, not Mm -hmm. seen their needs addressed at all over the past few years or the, the past decades even. So what does that look like for you? And is it something where you encourage other entrepreneurs, startup founders, maybe to explore what other niche businesses would be, uh, you know, a good fit in that category? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that I think you made the comment about it being sort of a mature market. Uh, the stats are that it's actually one in three women after the age of 30 that suffer from bladder leakage. And then wow. it's one in two by the time of menopause. So it's definitely more okay. prevalent yeah. Um, as women get older. Mm-hmm. But what's interesting is more women are doing more kind of higher impact exercise. Mm-hmm. So think of mm-hmm. running, CrossFit, you know, group fitness classes that might have jumping jacks or jump squats, that sort of thing. Things even even weight training. And those are all things that put pressure on the bladder. Mm-hmm. And create women to have leaks. So it's actually estimated that almost 50% of women after the age of 30 who do work out experience bladder leakage. Wow. So what's I stand corrected. Yeah, no, 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 it's okay. And it's it's actually part of like the stigma that I think we're trying to absolutely yeah. because mm-hmm. our probably our average customer is probably in her late. 30s, maybe 40. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we do have women in their 70s and their 60s, but I think 
what's been interesting about our market is, or what we're trying to kind of go after right now is actually more of those younger women who Mm. don't want to be seen as old that are working out that are proactive about their health that want to use something they want, they, they don't want to use a pad. Right. Mm -hmm. And these are women who, you know, are used to using a tampon or a menstrual cup or even vaginal inserts for contraception reasons. So they're open to the idea of something like Uresta, which inserts Mm -hmm. vaginally. So, um, yeah, I think actually by focusing more on that younger demographic, we've almost been able to penetrate kind of a different area of the market that's sort of been underserved by, say, some Mm -hmm. of the larger pad brands. Right. No, exactly. Yeah. Because I, and that's, I think where my assumption came from because that category yeah. typically has marketing that is targeting a more mature audience. Mm-hmm. And I think for women, you know, there's this type of bladder leakage can come from a cough, a sneeze, a laugh, mm-hmm. right? Like everyday activities. And then of course, yeah. ex- things like exercise. Mm-hmm. And I think the coughing and the laughing and the sneezing tends to be I don't want to say it's an issue, not an issue for younger women because it is, but it, it can be a little bit more common mm-hmm. as as you get older when the condition gets a little bit worse. Right. No, that makes sense. So what's on your plan for the next 12 months? What's going to be, you know, moving the needle for you and what's coming up next? So um, very focused, continuing to grow in Canada. Um probably will take us about a year to be in a place where we're over the counter in the U.S. So that's a very slow process. So in the meantime, we're just focused on Canada. But I think continuing to market online. So we use a lot of digital ads, Facebook, Google AdWords to to reach our consumer. But I think now what's really exciting is it seems to be a return to the regular world post-COVID. Yeah. So we are starting to look at a lot of out-of-home or options that aren't online. So, you know, we started to market at different athletic events, like a marathon, triathlons, those sorts of things, since that's such a common cause of leaks. We're looking at out-of-home posters in restaurants, um, Mm. restaurant washrooms and gym Mm -hmm. washrooms. So trying to really reach the consumer, um, you know, right, hit them on the nose, essentially, right? So we're looking at those sorts of things. And we're also looking... At even some PR style events, um, trying to kind of create more wellness and bring people together in sort of like a community style wellness event and educate them not only on Uresta, but also just generally on pelvic health. Mm-hmm. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. And the, the question I like asking my guests the most on the show is what's one thing you wish women would do more of and what's one thing you wish women would do less of? More of, um, it's an interesting question and less of, I think more, I, you know, I think just even being in this space, so I'm in the pelvic health space. Uh, so mm-hmm. there's a lot of really great resources. I think that have come out of even the pandemic. There's a lot of pelvic floor physiotherapists and women's health experts that weren't seeing patients during the pandemic and instead started posting a lot of content online and Mm. I think there's so much learning to be had about just like everyday habits that can have impacts on your pelvic health, your bladder health. So I think, I think encouraging women to, to learn more about kind of what's happening, um, in their bodies and then what they could do less of, um, 
probably apologize. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I would agree. Yeah, too much apology. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's been known to happen. Well, mm-hmm. thank you so much, Lauren. It was great hearing about the business and your journey. We'll link up to uh, everywhere we can find your brand. And congratulations and good luck for what's coming up next. And I appreciate you making time to speak with me today. Perfect. Well, thanks for having me. My pleasure. I really hope you enjoyed today's conversation. And if you did, as always, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and give us a review wherever that is possible. Thank you to TD Women and Enterprise for their support of The Brand is Female. You've got it in you to succeed. Let TD help guide you. Visit thebrandisfemale.com slash podcast and click on the TD logo. Thank you so much for listening to a podcast by The Brand is Female. I'm Ava Hartling, and this episode was produced by our team. Sound engineering by Isabel Morris. Research and production support, Claire Miglionico. Yeah.